On this week's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Joe Major, a diversity and inclusion champion, advocate, trainer. Joe, I'm thrilled to have you on as my guest. I was introduced, well, we were introduced by the amazing Gemma Lee Bevan from LinkedIn, and it was only a couple of weeks ago. And since then, we've, we've kind of got on like a house on fire, exchanging some messages and talking about various things. And I mean, really intrigued and really captivated by your journey and really want to know a bit more about it, actually. So welcome aboard. Welcome on the show. Um, Thank you. Do you want to start by telling us sort of what you do now and then I'll ask you some more questions from there? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and inviting me on here. You're really looking forward to it. Um, so I, um, after spending my entire career in the recruitment industry, I decided um, last year to develop a business um, based on a lot of personal stuff, stuff I was really passionate about and what I was seeing across the recruitment sector and um, developed this idea of um, evolving a business that would support recruitment businesses with diversity and inclusion through uh, training and advice. So that's where I began to kind of develop all the ideas around diversity and recruitment, which is my business. Yeah. Um, and the whole kind of idea for it is to help recruiters get to grips with diversity and inclusion, which can be a huge, very broad, very kind of complex topic to talk about. Sure. And recruiters often lack confidence because there's a knowledge gap. And so I wanted to take everything that I knew about recruitment and everything that I knew about diversity and inclusion, blend the two together mm. and give recruiters the tools, the confidence, the insight and the expertise to be able to not only tackle underrepresentation. Yeah. when it comes to candidates and, and barriers to careers, but also to influence their clients and to be able to do better yeah. when it comes to working in partnership with clients around a lack of representation within their businesses. So we're about three months in now, all going well. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of hard work. But... Oh, it's, I think it's a real um, prominent area the whole DNI piece and I, you know looking at your content your website and what you're doing so far I'm really excited about your future I want to delve into this a little bit more as we talk but um, I think you have listened to a few of my other podcasts and what I like to do is kind of go back in time and go back as far as possible and as deep mm. as possible as well so this is the purpose of the leadership podcast it's all about kind of you as a human being getting to know you as a person so um, I'd love and I'm sure the audience would love to know more about you so if you can sort of even go back as far as school or sooner, talk to us about your journey, how you arrived to where you are now, some of the trauma, adversity, and uh, yeah, we'd love to love to hear about it. Okay, so um, as you can probably tell by the accent, I'm uh, from the north originally. I grew up in a quite a large village that um, actually sat between the cities of Leeds and Bradford. Um, went to had a typical upbringing to a degree um although i was uh, from a family perspective um my um, my dad left the family home when i was really young and my sister was a little baby and um very much kind of like brought by my by my grandparents because my mum was working a lot um went to a the area the area that I was from was predominantly white middle class 
um, quite an affluent area, actually. Mm. Um, went to primary school. Um, and even from such a, you know, a young age, felt, felt the kind of, felt that feeling of not necessarily fitting in with the norm. And, I mean, if we look at you know, families and structures these days, it's it, it's more uncommon to have your parents together and have that family unit, mm. right? Mm. Uh, but for you know, for me actually at school, me and my sister, from what I recall, we were actually one of the only families, especially in our, our year groups, where we had you know our, our parents separated, um, and we were growing up in that single parent household, and it, it's crazy to think that that set me apart it was a thing yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was bizarre. um so you know it caused me any huge problems but you know it's, it's definitely part of who I am and part of I guess early stages of thinking about what makes people different and linking that to their identity circumstances and background right um Went to a very, very different setting, actually, from a cultural perspective. Um, went to secondary school in, um, in Bradford. Mm-hmm. So went from that kind of like village primary school where everybody was the same, you know, little carbon copies of each other. And then secondary school, it was vastly different. And because um, it was the schools where it was located, I really benefited from a really culturally diverse um, environment. Yeah. So I don't know the actual percentage split, but there were. I, I think it was maybe fifty-fifty white British, um, South Asian community, and I think that was where I began to really um, be aware of, you know, cultural differences and. You know, other people, my interest in, in people that you know, didn't look and weren't from the same place that I was. Um, school was interesting. I, I hated secondary school. Mm-hmm. Absolutely hated it. Um, two reasons why, I guess, from a attainment perspective, it was like back in the day when, you know, your, your entire education future was dictated on your like first stage exams from starting school yeah um and I was never like a high performer academically really struggled with maths in particular yeah um you know first day at secondary school you can imagine all the pressure da, 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 mm. and didn't perform well they put you into sets it was back in the day when we weren't what we maybe we were aware but we didn't have a deep understanding about neurodiversity etc yeah and it really um it, it affected my learning experience throughout really um you know being in, in an env- a learning environment that you know didn't have a lot of resources and just wasn't right for me mm-hmm. um and also from a i guess from a you know the friendship groups that I chose to to be around you know did I choose my friends wisely absolutely not Chris (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah I decided that the easiest thing to do to avoid the you know the 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 trauma of bullying was to actually join the in gang which I mean everything about me now (laughs) never do that as a human um days but yeah I joined the uh Join the in crowd, which I think in itself was a, a daily challenge for me, you know, having to behave, be somebody and do things that didn't sit well with me and my values as a human. Yeah. But the 
of not doing that was just yeah was 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 too far too great and mm. and but I think even trying to fit in and <laughs> I still didn't win with it you know still was you know, somehow managed to be the subject of bullying um from other girls and like many you know it's not a sob story is it it, it happens to a lot of us um mm. but um it, yeah I decided that um as soon as I could get out there you know out of that environment I would do and yeah then went straight into college went into college in the city met lots of different social groups fully immersed myself in city life that was massively diverse yeah. lots and lots of different people loads of different groups Leeds at the time had a um a really interesting cultural mix from a going out perspective a, a really welcoming incredible lgbtq plus community which oh. underpinned a lot of the Leeds nightlife so yeah from a you know sixteen year old going into the city, absorbing all this kind of these groups of people who were different to me, um, and that formed a lot of my not not only a lot of friendships that I've still got now, but just my kind of perspective on life yeah. and actually what makes people interesting and why it's so important to have difference around you, different perspectives, different life yeah. journeys. Yeah, yeah. So Leeds, uh, I've heard, is a great city actually. Yeah, it really, I mean, it's changed significantly. It's got a huge student population now. I probably wouldn't recognise it if I, if I went back. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really it gave me that foundation of like figuring out who I was as a human. It gave me like a licence to experiment and just that, that kind of like freedom of you know, yeah. finding a group of friends that were so different to each other and hmm. being able to identify in a way that you wanted to and be who you wanted to be um so so yeah moving on from that I kind of st still trying to figure out what I wanted to do from a um, professional um perspective and uh went to college um did some kind of like generic course dabbling in a bit of marketing although I secretly think I'm like I'm a marketeer at heart um and um, went to, I, I actually, I progressed through that, that education period and ended up coming out with a degree. I'm not sure how I managed to do it. Okay. It, was a, it was a slightly different route. I didn't go the traditional route of going to university for three years. Mm. I did the more unconventional kind of qualification route. So, you know, the MVQs, yes. the HN, I think it was a HND. Yeah, that's what I did as well. Did you? Mm. And then I um, and then a final year at, at university. Mm -hmm. And for me, it just even when I was at that, I, I knew that there were certain things that weren't right for me. I wouldn't get the best out of me. Mm. So that traditional study methodology just wouldn't have brought out anything in me. So it was those less conventional routes were better, and you know, it came out with it. A good you know a really good outcome so I didn't have the you know the university experience of going away I stayed I stayed in Leeds to do that um and all along I was working um I started working when I was like you know 14 with a paper round yeah uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah worked paper round worked in Barrett Shoes for a few years and Oasis clothes shop and then spent I think the last four years uh, of my retail life working in Harvey Nichols, uh, which was actually one of the most uh, interesting experiences 
career-wise at that stage. Yeah. I think that gave me that gave me experience of having targets and yeah. having to work really hard, even though it was like a you know part-time job supporting me whilst I was studying. Yeah. You know, that customer service, working with people, um, selling, mm. getting to different brands. Mm. all that kind of you know all that stuff really really valuable really valuable and Mm. definitely provided me with a really nice foundation for them when I was ready for the you know a proper job (laughs) yeah I mean before we can continue the journey there's there's loads of similarities I had a paper around at 14 as well I had loads of jobs and I was was a bit of a work I had a bit of a work ethic back then but I want to hear the rest of your journey but I'm just touching on just interjecting around Mm two things that you've mentioned your dad leaving you at a very early age which you just sort of touched on and glossed over and obviously the bullying you know and obviously you moved from the primary school to the, the secondary school so there's two or three things there that um i feel that have really affected you can you sort of talk a bit more about the emotions of of, of your dad leaving how that's made you feel then and now and the bullying and sort of any more context around that um I've done really well at packing it up (laughs) and I've, you know, I uh, promised myself I wouldn't let uh, that whole rejection piece define me as a human. Um, My dad, he was around, he was around until the age of, you know, when I became a teenager and then he couldn't cope with me, you know, going through that transition of being a a young adult from being being a child. So he was, you know, he was around, but from a... Oh gosh, I mean, I've used the word performative at work when I think about the work. Like my 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 father was the epitome of performative, right. so it was the elaborate, you know, showing up at birthdays without telling my mum and showering me with gifts in front of all my friends. Right, got you. Um, you know, driving his Porsche into the primary school uh, playground in front of all the other kids to pick me up from school. Unexpectedly, you know all that really, you know all that showy stuff. Yeah. Um, and um, but not yeah, was, but not there for you emotionally, by the sound. No, no, no. He was. Um, he was. I. He was a very, very successful businessman. Very successful businessman. Um, he was actually a hairdresser, but a real entrepreneur, really charismatic, the type of person who'd walk into a room and everybody would be like, "Who is he?" Yeah. Um, and he had a. And, you know, in the 70s, 80s, he built a, a fantastic um, hairdressing empire really in the north. Yeah. Um, but he was obsessed in money. He was obsessed in success and that mm. dominated his vision and his goals. And he, and whatever could help him achieve that or whatever would get in the way yeah. uh, would yeah. be the people or, you know, those kind of like family responsibilities. Um, so it's been... Um, it's definitely been a, a bit of, we've gone through stages where we, you know, we've reconnected. I've tried my best. I've tried to form some type of relationship. But yeah. ultimately, as I've got older, I've learned more about him as a human and realized mm. there isn't really anything that I can do to kind of like pre- penetrate that. Wow. I mean, whatever he's got around him. <laughs> I think I was, I was abandoned when I was two by my mum, as in physically. I think this is the same. Or in a way, it could even be worse because I, I, you can't miss something you never had. So I never had yeah. that. But you kind of had him there, but you, you completely didn't have him there emotionally. And I, yeah. I feel that maybe you can elaborate, but do you feel that that um, affected your approach to 
do you, I mean, do you have any children yourself, or how, how is it? Yeah. Right. No, no, and maybe I mean, I think if I sat in front of a psychologist and really unpicked it, you know, the fact that my mum was just focused on getting by and, and, and put, keeping the roof over our heads, right, and food mm-hmm. on the table, mm-hmm. where she wasn't present as a mother you know in that in that traditional sense although she is now she's incredible but she just didn't have time and then you know from from obviously him just choosing to walk away from the situation um yeah I guess there is that there may be something there you know in terms of I think you know if I really think about it it's more of a seeking approval thing so I spent right the majority of my you know childhood and early, late teens up to my early 20s seeking approval trying different ways to get him to I guess I mean sad isn't it get him to love me really right wow that's and current. yeah and, and that was through I tried to because because work was his thing I tried to do it through work achievements yeah I think yeah. and um but then I you know he he, there was a there was a kind of, there was a cutoff point, right? There was a cutoff point where I say a cutoff point. <laughs> I have subsequently tried again. Could you believe it? There was a cutoff point where he was really. We had a conversation mm-hmm. when he was. Uh, he let me move to Australia, and I actually went on my own twice out to Australia to try and. So uh, hold on, you said he you he let you move to Australia. Was was it? How old were you? No, no, I no, I, I he moved to Australia. Oh, I see, right. And then I went to visit him. I went to visit oh, him. Right. I think when I was like when I was twenty, and then again like yeah. the year after, around early twenties, anyway. Um, but I kind of went over there to again the child trying to fix, yeah. <laughs> trying to fix the problem. And I think on the last visit, there was that there was that line in the sand because he was really, you know, he, he sat me down. He was really open about the mm. fact that. He didn't have those, you know, he, he, well, he sat me down at like three o'clock in the morning and said, I need to tell you that I don't love you and I don't love your sister and I never have done. And gosh, <laughs> this is deep, isn't it? And, you know, when I was when I was a young man and I met your mum, she was a teacher, she had stability and she had a mortgage and I needed some of that to basically get started. Wow. Yeah, he, he said that to you. <laughs> that's what you said to me Chris those were the words I don't think I've ever heard uh, it so, yeah um, I know I know but um, wow and uh, for me it was like well you might think that that would be something that would uh, you know emotionally floor you but mm. by that stage it was I was I was I knew that something was there was something that wasn't right mm. but actually having that information helped me get closure Right, right, I see. Because there's no point in trying to make something happen that's never going to happen maybe, because that person's not got it. In a perverse way, yeah. I mean, awful, but maybe even a relief. I don't know. Yeah, it was. It was like that. It was that moment in time that I'll never forget, you know. It was just, and I was like, okay, that's fine. At least it's clear now. At least I know where I stand. At least I don't have to start, like, stop spending money traveling to Australia. <laughs> that's a wow i'm really taken aback by that so from that point then how did how did your life change in terms did it change your approach change the things you could it feels like you didn't have that burden of having to kind of please your father yeah 
Yeah, I mean, look, there was lots of other, you know, I was getting on with life. This didn't define who I was as a young person, absolutely yeah. not. This is just, yeah. a, you know, a story, I guess, that I'm telling. Um, but it did, yeah, it has it had a, did it have an effect on, especially on relationships, you know, that seeking approval piece. Um, mm. And just, you know, I guess maybe expecting people not to necessarily stick around. Right. Got you. Got you. Maybe. That's understandable, though. Yeah. But I've been really blessed because I've got the family that I've got is amazing. So I have two sets of amazing grandparents. Yeah. Right. A great mum who I've got an amazing relationship with. A brilliant sister. It's small, but we were a unit and brilliant friends. So the emotions of kind of um, abandonment, uh, people pleasing, trying to seek approval, imposter syndrome have probably subconsciously held you back. But can you foresee or describe any situations where actually it's helped you, what's happened to you in that regard has helped you in any way? Um, what I mean by that is it's kind of made you who you are now and you can't we can't change you can't change what's happened to you can you I think think it's I think it's given me independence I think it gave me you know it it was a very you know quite a big lesson at a young age and it gave me like independence to not be um like emotionally and financially and you know reliant on somebody Mm -hmm. maybe and so I've always had some very very you know strict rules that I've stuck to throughout my entire career and it's always been about financial independence and emotional independence yeah and not having that, not ever been in a situation where everything is underpinned by another person. Yes. And that whatever situation that you're in, you can always take yourself out of it. You might have some rebuilding to do. Yeah. But you're still your own boss, if that makes sense. Mm. You're still in control. You don't lose everything. Mm. There's so many parallels, if I may, between your story and mine. You know, I, I went through that same process of kind of trying to fill a void of not having a mother and uh, putting myself into into so much work. And I thought that when I hit a certain achievement, I'd get a certain feeling, or I'd feel I'd feel worthy, or I'd feel the, the world would accept me. And there was every time I pushed hard of another achievement, I was I was less less fulfilled. And it was until I kind of talked about how it made me feel and opened myself up and kind of surrendered a little bit that um i changed my my my, my kind of perspective on things um i mean mm. talking about what you're, i mean you, you're set, you just set up your own business in, in, in a very competitive field you come onto linkedin I and mean, that takes a lot of confidence it takes a lot of belief in yourself um but i also sense there's a lot of vulnerability there still as well so mm. how how what have you done to sort of help yourself like, do you have a therapist do you have you got a coach you know, what, uh, you know mental i mean i, I do loads of stuff in mental health as well and i'm very open with the fact that i've got mental health as well um, but i'm also a mental health advocate as well and i think these mm. these days it's about being yourself and embracing yourself and you strike me as a sort of person now who is so uh the opposite to your father you, you don't put on a show with your, your flash cars and you, you know you are who you are i mean how would you talk to me about all that so i mean i've not 
I don't really, um, I think because of the line of work that I'm in now, because I spend myself, spend my time, sorry, listening and watching and reading and understanding everybody else's challenges in life, I don't allow myself to kind of, so I've never ever been somebody where I feel like I'm a victim of anything. And I, what I have taken from all of this is like the, the true value of good people and what life's actually all about. And it's, um, it's never been for me about chasing money and material things. And that mm. has had a, that has absolutely dictated the industries, the sectors that I've recruited into and my motivation, you know, for getting into recruitment and, and being a successful recruiter. Yeah. Um, so I mean, do I do I take self this whole like kind of like self care thing? Possibly, possibly not, because I don't believe that any of the challenges that I have now are necessarily affected by what happened, you know, mm. twenty, twenty, thirty years ago. And and the th when I have, you know, and I'm, I'll be totally transparent with you, I have had my my own mental health challenges. Mm. Um, I've never linked it back to any childhood stuff or any breakdowns in relationships. It's been more about. Um, imposter syndrome which i guess you could link that back into, into this stuff right uh, I, you know that I, believing in myself is something i have to work on every day um absolutely i have to work on it um but i don't you know i've never the, the reason that anything that i struggle with now is due to the imposter syndrome piece and yeah the fact that i yes I, it's I have to work really hard to be confident, really hard, <laughs> what, um, all of the time. Well, that's, yeah, I think a lot of people do, actually. I think I think mm. a lot of people put on a brave face, but some, sometimes it's, it's uh, you know, they're, they're panicking and there is anxiousness. And I, I prefer people who are honest and open about it. Um, but what, what, what gave you the, the impetus and the confidence then, if you are this kind of sort of, person who struggles with imposter syndrome to actually do what you're doing now because it's 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 you're putting yourself out there a bit aren't you mm, i know i mean putting myself out there and doing this is you know it was it took so much mental energy it took you know a lot of a lot of build up a lot of planning um to 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 do it but you know what i was just so focused on my mission so passionate about what i do mm. i was like so i either choose to say stay silent and I choose to do things that are comfortable and don't challenge me. Yeah. And continue to be frustrated as hell right. and disappointed continually with folks around me, mm. which I think ultimately affected my, my mental health, you know, in recent years. Yeah. Or I just, you know what, I just um, stop thinking about myself for a moment and how I feel. Totally. And think about what I'm here to do and how I can make a difference and that's when I'm uh, you know and I'm sat down I've got that kind of nervous anxiety before I'm about to deliver some training or going to a business you know business development meeting I just think why are you doing this just think about the end result think about the impact what you're trying to achieve and it takes me out of the scenario if that makes sense 
I see you as a really, really inspiring leader. And I know that I've just said that you think, what the fuck are you talking about, mate? But, <laughs> An inspiring leader? Oh, my gosh, I'm yeah. a bloody awful manager. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think, well, there's a difference between a manager and a leader as well. I, mean, I, I, did, I did a, a live on Instagram yesterday, and I, you know, I was asked what, what, what I look for in leadership. I think it's there's five A's, awareness, accountability, authenticity, adaptability, and action. And I think you've got all of those. You've got that that kind of adaptability because you've had to adapt. And, that's, and obviously the whole DNI piece fits in with that well. The, the, I think you've got the, you're, you're aware of your strengths and your weaknesses and you don't shy away from them. You, you, you own them and you're trying to improve yourself. The authenticity is there for everyone to see. Um, and uh, But the biggest thing as well is accountability as well. I think, I think um, that's a, I, it feels like that's a big value of yours in terms yeah. of you know, yeah. how would you describe, you talked about your mission, how would you describe your mission, your, vi- your vision and your values? So, good question. So, I absolutely believe that the, and I did some research into it, I did some research into how much control the recruitment industry's got of the UK employment market. Mm. A few, you know, a couple of years ago, and the figures were like quite astonishing. It was like I think it was something between sixty and seventy percent of like UK hires are run through recruitment businesses. Yeah, and we've got this huge issue with underrepresentation um, and diversity and inclusion. Yeah, and I am um, very, very driven by the fact that the recruitment industry single-handedly has the opportunity to turn the dial on this stuff. Right, mm. it can if it wants to stop or improve inequality and change stuff. Yeah. But you cannot solve a problem that you don't understand. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, and I, I, the recruitment industry, there's a lot of people in this sector who are constantly looking for ways to evolve and do things differently. And there's that will and drive to do things differently. I think we're moving into a new era for recruiters. I think, and I love that, you know, I love the fact that I'm speaking to people every day who care, who think about their impact and their responsibility. I want to learn about how do I do things better? How do Mm. I make what we do better for human beings yeah and so i that is my absolute focus is to give recruiters that education to inspire them for them to kind of like humanize what they do and think about how much power that they've got and how much influence that they've got but we can only do that through having the confidence skills tools education and that's you know that's what i have but I guess it's taking them on a journey of actually showing them and creating that awareness, showing them what's possible, creating that awareness and then trying to get their hearts and minds engaged, getting them to like look at what they do and think, you know, Mm -hmm. if we look at it from, if we look at underrepresentation and we look at identity and often as recruiters, we just thought we put, you know, a human being is a CV but actually, when do we ever think about the shared identity between the people that we love and our candidates? I, t- you know. I totally agree. This, this DNI is quite similar to the whole mental health piece that, that I do in terms of um, it's not a tick box exercise where if we hire one or two people in a certain way, we'll be OK. This, this it has to be an intrinsic belief, understanding and 
and approach to why they're doing it as well I, I think you've got to, like with mental health you, you, and, and and this you've got to kind of believe and and want to do it it's it's, it's, it's it, there's much more to it than just just you know balancing the balancing the numbers do you, do you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean look there's there's, there's untold amounts of uh, business benefits um when you run businesses that have an inclusive culture and, and are full of people that are different from each other mm. um that research has been around for years and years and years yeah. and for some reason we still haven't kind of got that um i think that um you can't hire yourself out of you know an, a problem with underrepresentation. i follow um an incredible woman called um, joanne lockwood she's like my you know i aspire to have her knowledge and i've learned a lot from listening and watching her and um Joanne said something that was quite profound for me and it explained a lot. Um, she said, you can't put a new fish into dirty water. Right. Okay. And what she meant by that is, yeah, you get it. Yeah. You can't go, right, okay, we've got our shopping list. We know what's missing and we need to hire this person, this person, okay. this person, and this person. But we haven't done the work to fix our culture. So, and I talk to my clients a lot about that. You know, what we don't want to do is perpetuate the, the, the problem here, right? We don't just want to be, you know, nodding our heads in agreement with clients and going out there and purely searching for people because of their identity to put them into environments that are toxic and won't give them the, you know, that kind of like safe space and respect and make them feel valued like their previous employers did, maybe, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is more than just, it's not hiring people because of their identity. It's actually looking at broadening, broadening your horizon on actually what good looks like and mm. kind of like busting this myth that, you know, we do recruit just for skills and experience when we actually don't we recruit people who are similar to us or similar to our teams or similar to the person that just left so yeah it, it it's um and it's what it's done is it's it's created this this challenge that we have now where everybody's the same yeah you know uk yeah. businesses lack representation people can't get jobs because of their identity what is that all about what is that all about but it's, it's more than hiring. It's more than a talent strategy. It's got to be internally from a culture perspective. Why? And I, I will often say to, you know, to, to, to recruiters, when a client asks you to hire more of this, because mm. it does, those people currently don't exist in their business, ask them why. Yeah. Right? Why do those folks not currently work for your business? What are you doing that's not attracting them or work? What are you doing where you're not hiring people? Yes. That, that, that fit those identities. Um, because it, it shouldn't be falling on our shoulders as an industry. No. And it's, right. like, it's we, one of those like mental health week where you get the you get the colourful banners for a week and it's job mm -hmm. done, it's job done. It's a whole it's a whole holistic change and, and, and yeah. Life, isn't it? yeah, it, it and it is and look the, um, people are minoritized because of bigger bigger things than the recruitment sector right the recruitment industry yeah. you know we it's the structure of uh inequality is a yeah societal thing it's a structural thing it's everywhere in our lives right we could talk about that all day the problem we've got is with i keep referring back to mental health with mental health and dni as you're 
rightly saying, it's been indoctrinated into our society for, I'm going to say decades, but probably centuries. So we've got unwire and unpick all the, all the bad habits, all the bad thoughts and kind of like, whereas I feel that the, this, this generation coming through, they haven't had all that. So they, they're the ones, that, you know, they're the ones that are going to like well, you as well, but they're the ones that are going to educate the old folk who, who haven't got, who haven't got a clue about it or, or so they've got their head in the sand so much that, yeah. um, that it's harder for them to change. I think that's a really interesting point, Chris, when you're talking about from a, you know, from a generational perspective. And I think helping our clients get fit for the future should absolutely be, absolutely be a priority because mm. you mentioned there about, you know, you, you know, younger generations educating, your, you know, your older generations. I'm not sure that will happen because these people, these generations have benefited from the structure of society. Mm -hmm. right they benefit the majority of leadership at the moment is a particular generation right yeah. the baby boomers are calling the shots right mm. they've benefited from inequality yeah so how willing are they right now as they're building up to take their pensions this might be controversial how willing are they to make sacrifices and changes i'm not sure but I think any business that's not thinking about future talent and looking at look at looking at it through a cultural perspective mm. is going to be in a very 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 tough position. Um, yeah, because Gen Zs think differently; they behave differently. Like you said, they're they're you know they've been brought up with access to perspective on their mobiles. Then they've not got the same bias and, and hard drive wiring that we had um and they want the quality because they've had it in school they've had it in college they have it in their friendship groups they tap into it on their phones and then they come into like businesses and they're like oh, could you leave your identity at the door please <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> and, it, and it's and it and, it, and all the data's there around what's driving gen z to make decisions about joining businesses yeah. And it, a lot of it is about representation, it's about diversity, it's about inclusive cultures. And I've seen it in my, you know, I've seen it in grad programs that I've worked with next day. Mm. You know, there's, there's a huge drive to, you know, a room full of really diverse early careers talent. Very, very proud of ourselves that we are changing things and there's nobody in that room that looks or is who we've already got hire everybody but ask them to just fit into what we already have exactly what and it's yeah the attention problems there then isn't it sorry no not at all what i'm picking up from you massively i mean this 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 podcast is called the purpose-led leadership podcast i've had lots of guests on i'm a leadership coach i speak to lots of leaders and it's for me when you define your purpose and your why some great things start to happen and i have to say you're one of the most um aligned people i've had on my show recently around your per i think you were born to do this your purpose is this is this dni piece is to kind of transform a lot of thinking because and i think that that's born out of maybe your dad leaving home going going from the very rigid primary school to the, to the secondary school diversity and then being bullied and then trying to fit in it feels as if all the stuff that's happened to you that's been that's been awful has led you to this path now that's how we were at university like, um, university and all this kind of stuff I, I massively believe that there's there's we're gifts and we, we guide people on this destiny I, I honestly feel that um you know you are 
you know, you're fulfilling your what your your purpose is. What, mm. what, what do you think about that? Um, I d- yeah, I definitely. I don't want to kind of um, put myself. I, it's important that I'm not on a pedestal here, right? Because a lot of what I do is correcting the things that I did. Yeah. Right. So, um, I everything that I tra- put in my training is to avoid recruiters from making the same mistakes that I made. So when I talk about, you know, I can give examples on every piece that I discuss in my training sessions when I did that and that was the result. And so it's almost what I, you know, that light bulb moment when I just happened to work for this incredible guy that really got me into all of this. Mm. And then me realizing, oh my goodness, I've been part of the problem. I individually perpetuated the representation for my clients. Mm. And what do I now do? Um, and also in my own, you know, own behavior as a, as a recruiter, you know, as part, being part of a business, as being a manager, all, you know, I've made all the mistakes. And I guess, but now I was enlightened and I was educated and I could see the impact of what I did. Now it's like, right. So my purpose now is to make sure yeah. that that doesn't happen. Absolutely. If that makes any sense. It totally does. I mean, again, that's the awareness uh, and the accountability around um, utilising what's happened to you, taking accountability for it and making amends and turning it into something really good. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So because let- you talk about that, don't you, Chris? You talk about giving back. Yeah. And to a degree, that's what I feel in a, um, in a way. That's what, you know, I, I need to do that. Mm, that's interesting um so is, is that is that your is that your overall kind of mission and vision then is is to how would you wrap that up in, in a sentence or two like why you're doing this so my mission is to um make the services of uh, recruitment businesses accessible to everybody that is it just one line amazing um yeah. so um we kind of got up to your 20s when your dad dropped the bomb. Um, do you want to... Do you want to <laughs> the album. Yeah. The Christmas album. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I don't love you. Cheers. Like, wow. I mean, just like, you've, you've, uh, to come back from that is, is a testament to you in itself. But so from there to where you are now, um, what happened in that, in that sort of the next 20 years of your life? Oh, goodness me. Right. Okay. So uh, do you know what? Getting into recruitment was just a, a very, very... Um, very typical story after uni I thought you know I'm going to go traveling I'm going to go to you know travel around East Asia um let me just pop into the Sodeco on the high street and get myself a job in a utilities company and um it just went from that we've got this job as a branch administrator we think you'd be great for it coming for an interview um I'd kind of, I was, uh, I'd got a few friends that had gone into recruitment. So I was, you know, I was aware of, of how it all works and, and a bit, yeah, and interested. <laughs> I found myself managing payroll for about, you know, 500 temps, having never worked in an office before. That was an interesting one. Um, and yeah, so I um, spent my first couple of years in uh, working for ADECO, which was, you know, absolutely loved it. ADECO at that time was, incredible place to work mm. the training was unbelievable 
oh, it was just, yeah, I think I, I, I absolutely threw myself into it. I actually got, um, I mean, look, we're talking about 21 years ago, newcomer of the year wow. across the entire business. And, really you know, Massive, in the UK, yeah. anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, and that was just by being a, you know, a, a, a branch administrator and dabbling in a little bit of industrial recruitment at the same time. So, um, so yeah, I, I really took to it. I really enjoyed it. But for me, it was the um, the unbelievable feeling of helping people with their careers. I just could never get my head around that responsibility and how good it felt, mm. giving people the control over their lives and the freedom to do what they wanted to do because you got them a job. I loved it. Mm. Loved it. And I still do. Um, figured out that maybe working in industrial recruitment didn't match who I was as a human, although it was a good foundation, right? Um, and um, fell into um, education. So that played a big part in my career, recruiting teachers. I mean, it doesn't get better than walking into a school and seeing your teachers in classrooms. Yeah. And the feedback from the head is like, your teachers are changing stuff for our school. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, I tend, when I went in education, I uh, my focus, I don't know if it was by chance, I don't know, but I worked with a lot of, uh, in a lot of areas that were, really challenged from a socioeconomic perspective so i saw people with nothing absolutely nothing right. you know yeah. i'd go on my client visits consisted of me sat next to a six-year-old with no shoes and socks on wow so it was always this i really understood my purpose and why even as a recruiter because yeah. my end clients were kids without shoes and socks on right um so i spent many many years apps you know setting up desks setting up kind of regional regional presences i, I loved it did all different types of sec secondary primary um decided to move down to london um which was a big thing for me i can't yeah. actually believe i did it i just was like i think i'm gonna go work in london don't know anyone down there but i'll give it a go <laughs> um and then shortly after uh, moving to london i um I saw this, like for me, it was game changing. An advert for a recruiter role um, working with charities, mm -hmm. written by this amazing recruiter that's placed me a few times back in the day. And um, and that was where I found my place. That, that was where I was supposed to be. So I spent, yeah. you know, like a decade um, recruiting people into, you know, national charities, global charities, all different shapes and sizes. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot about society. Yeah. Learned a lot about the haves and have-nots. It gave right. me a social conscience. Wow. Massive education. Loved it. Yeah. Absolutely loved that. Amazing. For 10 years as well. I think it was all right. Yeah, it was mm. a decent stint. And, uh, you know, obviously I, I evolved. I, you know, led teams, not so brilliantly. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, lots and lots of different kind of specialisms. Just, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. And then I started to think about the future thought that maybe eventually I might go in-house, so thought, I know what I'll do, let me spend some time in, you know, specialising in HR, mm. and at the same time, why don't I go into the city? When I say go into the city, I mean work for an organisation that's a lot more focused on financial professional services, you know, so I've got more exposure just to educate myself even more. So for me, when I chose companies to work for, to, you know that second half of the career career is more around like upskilling me yeah yeah learning more 
I mean, this was part of an exit strategy, mm-hmm. but it ended up obviously not being. Yeah. Um, but I spent my, you know, this was my last recruiter role where I joined a business um, that um, I worked for. You know, when you just work for somebody who sees you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he gave me so much opportunity within that organization, yeah. you know, and that really gave me the foundation for what I'm doing today, really. Um, gave me an opportunity to actually walk into financial institutions and law firms and, you know, see how, you know, see what the landscape looked like. Um, and, um, yeah. And in, in that 20-year uh, time frame, was there any other kind of trauma or adversity uh, at all that you would like to mention? Um, I think, I mean, if I'm thinking about, um, I'm going to say adversity more than trauma. You know, I, I feel like I've been blessed in terms of not having yeah. significant trauma happening to me, if I'm honest. But it's all about perspective. Trauma is different for different people, isn't it? Very true. Uh, but I guess, interestingly, going into a business where, for the first time, when I when I when I went into this recent or not into an organisation recently, mm-hmm. where I actually felt very different to the people that were around me. Yeah. And I didn't have the same level of education for the first time ever I was the subject of uh, you know a few laughs about my accent I've never experienced right. it ever okay. I'd never experienced anybody questioning like you know talking to me about my academics and maybe not being as impressed as and yeah. you know an age and all these kind of you know identity mm. markers mm. I became hyper aware of right um and that was quite that was defining for me that was kind of yeah it was it was it was it changed the way I looked at things and I thought gosh if I'm feeling inadequate because of my identity yeah how must the people who are actually marginalized because of their identity cope when it comes to employment and performance and fitting in with culture and I mean and that this was a time for me this was I mean I'm not somebody who will just sit there and go okay I've got that I've been dealt that I'll deal with it for me that sparked a fire in me and I was like okay I'm going to do everything I can to change the culture of this organization yes and I I did did. with other people I think I think you've learned and evolved along the way, but I, I I can't help thinking back to when you described vividly your, your dad turning up and being this showman and but not being there. Yeah. I mean, in terms of identity, he th- he thought that that was like you know that would impress people, and I think in a stra- in a strange kind of way, I think he's actually helped you become what you are now because you you're the antithesis of him. So it's almost like sometimes you can learn by how not to do things. Um, and I think I think what you've done is you've 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 uh, you've framed that in a way that you've treated it as a gift in terms of actually, well, it's not very pleasant what he's done to you, but in a way he's he's kind of enabled you in, in unintentionally to become the person you are. What do you say to that? Yeah, I think I would. Um, I think I would agree, especially when it comes to um, you know being hungry for the money 
Um, and I think mm. that that shaped my career journey significantly because money was never the, the goal. Yeah. It was what I could do, the impact that I could have, yeah. how I could improve other people's lives. That was the goal. That was only the goal. Because I'd seen the damage that being starving for the money yeah. does. Yeah. Um, and yeah so 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 yeah definitely and i've also um i've also avoided people like him in my life right it's interesting um and, and not just from a, you know not from a, a, a work but you know i have worked with people where i thought you know you absolutely remind me of my father right. <laughs> um but i've also yeah i've also from a personal perspective as well you know from a relationship perspective yeah i've always looked for other qualities in people yeah, I mean, uh, my up until recently, my relationships, my business has been amazing, but my relationships haven't been great because I've kind of, I kind of jumped too quickly or gone for the first first person and all that kind of stuff. And talk to me a little bit about that, but also, um, you mentioned you have you haven't got children, and uh, again, I don't want to keep referring back to your father, but do you feel the way that he sort of parented you put you off being a parent yourself, perhaps? um wow deep question i think that um i think it wasn't necessarily him it was more a result of what he did yeah so i think seeing my um i don't know my mum is a wonderful human being and we have a very very close relationship and we've had this conversation but she wasn't present she didn't enjoy bringing up two young children mm. and she you know she had a really tough time at first because she used to be a teacher she'd left education to her family she's fun she'd funded my dad's businesses she worked you know in between she worked like three jobs you know she was either working in a pub doing personal care for older people or sewing up blank plastic bags for the nhs right. up until like two o'clock in the morning for a penny a bag wow um before then before she got back to being being a teacher and that changed our financial step that changed everything for us yeah. um but she didn't she wasn't in love with being a mum because she'd had that taken away from her she had to work okay. she had to be focused on that okay. and it became it almost became she, i think she'd really really wanted to have that family unit she wanted to enjoy motherhood and she didn't mm. and so what i did i associated being a with having things taken away from you right okay so not being it so being stressed anxious unhappy right not being able to pursue other things that you that might make you happy and bring you joy um, because I saw my mum was just, yeah, she just wasn't a happy mum at all. And and I think also that absolute kind of uh, laser focus on not putting myself in a position where I would ever have children with the wrong person. Yeah, okay. And me, my husband, and, you know, later in life or probably also contributed to it. But yeah. no, it's just, and I don't, I don't regret it, you know. I don't regret yeah. it. Um, I have, <laughs> I'm a godmother, and a couple of hours a month is good for me. <laughs> and you've got a dog, you told me as well. Isn't it? Yeah, I've got a dog, uh, my Billy, Billy Noodles. Um, he really helped me through a, a phase of, you know, 
challenge in mental wellness, a challenge in mental ill health. Um, and yeah, it's given me, um, I, you know, it's, it's been a strange journey with him. I call him, he's a bit like a therapy dog for me. Right. Um, but he's given me, so I kind of almost think that all that kind of love and, you know, all that stuff that you have for a little person. Mm that I didn't know was in me is now there, very present for my dog. So he's oh. living his best life. He's living his best life. <laughs> oh, amazing. amazing that a dog's sort of brought all those capabilities yeah. to, to the yeah. floor, really. So just before we kind of wrap up, I mean, that, that's a lovely thing there. Um, you mentioned mental health and well-being a little bit there. Um, talk to us about that. What, what sort of journey you've been on with your, your mental health and how you how have you coped? Mm. What tips have you got? Well, yeah, so I've, all, I've always been, Right up to the point, but right up to breaking point, I'd, I'd never really had that much of a challenge apart from being a student at exams and bits and pieces like that. But um, yeah, it really came out of nowhere, and it was about um, that's three years ago. Yeah, it was about yeah two or three years ago, and I was just becoming like increasingly you know terrible anxiety. I was. Um, probably stretching stretching myself too much at work so doing several things that were taking me out of my comfort zone all at the same time yeah so it's it's healthy isn't it to have that one or two things that stretch you but when your entire job takes you out of your comfort zone 24 7 that's something that i think i think was was the trigger for me and it just you know started to started to feel you know anxious a bit panicky and just not 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 myself and 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 it just yeah it was that a moment that i think a lot of people have where it's like i can't actually get out of bed today mm. i can't be i can't be who i am i can't go to work i can't function i can't talk to anybody yeah. and it was this it was a very weird experience it was this and i didn't want any help at all yeah. i was too busy focused on how ill i felt and I couldn't do anything to take myself out of it. Um, and that was just something that, you know, everybody has their own choice, Chris Wright. I went down the medication route. Okay. And, yeah, and that for me was just, you know, my, my brain didn't respond well to it. In fact, it's, you know, it spiralled a bit and took me to some incredibly dark places. Right. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I tried... Dangerous some, stuff. I, I tried some medication just after one or two... <laughs> goes here. I just thought, no, I've got, I've got to do a different way. So, what did you do yeah. instead of medication? Um, what did I do? I mean, I just um, I made some changes. I made some dramatic changes. Actually, I tried. First of all, I you know after I'd become a bit more physically better mm. through rest, I took time off work and I slept a lot and did nothing. Yeah, and stopped. Just stopped. Yeah. And then I looked at what was the root cause, and ultimately it was it was it was doing too many things that took me out of the comfort zone, and in that constant right. state of anxiety and having that chemical effect on your body that builds up. Yeah. But I think it was also, you know, I felt a, there was a there was a, a gap between me as a human being and maybe some of the values and behaviour of the company that I was working for. Yeah nobody's fault but you know when you get to a point and i've re been i've read more about this about how actually not being aligned yes it can affect your your actual mental health and how you feel 
Mm. And that makes perfect sense. So, yeah, I am, um, oh, gosh, I absolutely took this is the second time round of being unwell. I went back into work. I was really honest with them and I was like, I've got to, I'm, I'm going to leave. And I left my job without anything to go to. Yeah. So you kind of, you decided yeah. to kind of put yourself first, basically. And then what was it a yeah. case of a personal development journey from there on? Or? Yes, it was. Yeah, definitely. So what I decided that I need to do was to, to um, stop doing, stop working in environments that were making me unhappy, stop doing jobs that were making me unhappy and focus on things that were a lot more connected with me as a human mm-hmm. and where I didn't feel compromised yeah. at any time. Sure. Um, and that was, for me, that was, a, that was a change. I needed to change in career in, in, a, in a different, you know, different environment. And, you know, everything career-wise seems to, no matter how traumatic or how difficult, it's all part of the journey, isn't it? Mm. And without that bit happening, yes, this wouldn't happen. Totally. And I think I've always um, been a, um, a massive believer in that um, all the challenges that I've ever had have always been followed up by even better stuff. Totally. And so that gives me that bravery to go, do you know what? Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you grow, isn't it? By leaning into it and uh, challenging. Yeah. 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 You've got to do yeah. Totally. Well, such a powerful discussion. I could talk to you for days, hours. I have to get a follow up going on, but I just want to thank you. Um, thank you. Wholeheartedly for being open and brave enough to, to talk to me on, and the audience on this podcast. What? tips would you like to give the audience or takeaways around kind of personal development uh, the journey putting yourself out there does any anyone anyone's trying to get onto linkedin just anything like that someone could take away yeah no that's that's a good question um so i had a real fear of of putting myself out there because that's not a space that i naturally get into very well Mm. um and I've always been a bit scared of having a voice, but I had to have a voice when I set my business up. Otherwise, nobody would like, hear about the work that I actually wanted to do, right? Yeah. Um, and so I actually, I, I thought about doing it myself, but I decided that what I would do when I set my business up is actually surround myself with experts mm-hmm. and invested in, I know you talk a lot about all the different people that you've got in your life, and I did exactly that. Right. I didn't, you know, I wanted to launch in the best possible way and put myself in the strongest position. So I brought in people who knew more about it than I did. So I went to Gemma to help me find my voice on LinkedIn, which yeah. she's just done brilliantly. Um, I went to uh, an amazing woman that helped me with my um, with my branding, get my message across, helped yeah. me. And she was, yeah, real journey of discovery and worked with a, a fantastic digital agency to help me find my, you know, what would, what, what's my image? What do, what, how do I represent myself? Like, you know, online mm. representation of the business. So, um, and also just surrounding, surround yourself with people who have been on this journey. Yes. And, it's amazing how the generosity of human beings who totally. never experienced anything like it. I have avoided so many mistakes by listening to people who know better than me. Yeah. And I think you have to be humble. You have to be like, I might be an expert at this little bit here, but I've never done this before. So let me hang out with all those people who can add value to my learning and my journey. 
Such good advice. I, I concur with every word you just said there. Um, wow. So honoured to have you on. It was absolutely... Thank you so uh, much. Very powerful. Um, can't wait to, to listen to it all back and uh, chat to you again very soon. Thanks so much, Joe. It's great having you on. Thank you, Chris. Take care. The Purpose Led Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Vincherry. Vincherry are all-in-one CRM and ATS platform, purpose-built for recruitment and staffing agencies. I chose to partner with Vincherry because, honestly, I'm a customer. They keep me competitive, plug into my calendar and email, and make the whole admin part of my job as a recruiter a hell of a lot easier. The Purpose Led Leadership Podcast listeners get 25% off Vincherry's onboarding. So if you're looking for a recruitment CRM to accelerate your growth, check them out at vincherry.io forward slash Chris O'Connell.